podcast is brought to you by CEW Plus at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor as we work to serve our community during this unprecedented time of change. Resiliency is best demonstrated in times of challenges. Join CEW Plus Director Tiffany Mara as she talks to students, staff, faculty, and community members connected to the University of Michigan's Center for the Education of Women Plus in our podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. Today's podcast features Vice President for Student Life, Dr. Martino Harmon. Dr. Harmon began working at the University of Michigan in March 2020 and has seen student life through the pandemic. Prior to coming to the University of Michigan, he was the Senior Vice President for Student Affairs at Iowa State University. He earned his Bachelor's of Arts in Marketing Management, Master of Education in in Human Resources Development and Educational Technology, and PhD in Higher Education and Administration all from the University of Toledo. Martino, it's my honor to speak with you today. Welcome to the Strength in the Midst of Change podcast. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. Thank you, Tiffany. I am actually thrilled to be on with you. And I love that title, Strength in the Midst of Change. That's a motivating, aspiring title, and I'll just hang on to that whenever I need it. So thank you. I'm really honored to speak with you today. So again, been here at the University of Michigan for a couple years now, came four months into the pandemic. So that was certainly a, a challenging situation, but fortunately I received a lot of support from many people and I'm hanging in there and, and doing well. So I'm really glad to be here, but I, I have a very interesting background. I, I, I probably, that's probably the best word I can think of. Never really expected to be in the role that I'm in now. I grew up in a state that most people in Michigan aren't very fond of, in the state of Ohio, in Cleveland. Call myself a kid from Cleveland, and that's where my roots are. But I spent a number of years in uh, Toledo, probably over 20 years of my life. But, you know, I went to high school at a private school in Cleveland. I went to college at the University of Toledo as a first-generation college student. And I can tell you that my parents were very supportive of education. But neither of them graduated from high school. So they really didn't know how to tell me to navigate college. So I went in with a lot of support, but not a lot of confidence. I really wasn't sure I could make it through the first year or even the first term for that matter. And, you know, I felt very fortunate to have some great mentors in my life, but also to be involved in a lot of leadership activities while I was in college. And that really helped to shape who I am today and also guided me toward a career in higher education. And just briefly from a career perspective, I, I spent my first nine years out of college after earning the bachelor's degree in professional sales. I knew that education was in my heart, but I, I let financial aspirations sort of lead me to corporate America and there's nothing wrong with corporate America, but I really realized pretty shortly after that Professional sales was great, but it wasn't my passion. And I had some experiences in during my life that really led me to, to know that I needed to follow my passion. I was doing a lot of work with young African-American males, a lot of community work, and I, it just kept guiding me to education. So finally made a big decision after nine years of sales to go back to the University of Toledo and to work in admissions and had a good, long, successful career in admissions. Another nine or 10 years, became director of admissions. And then I was called to do something really special. And that was to start an office, a success office 
that focused on African-American students because the graduation and persistence rates were really low at that institution for that population. And that was the African-American Student Enrichment Office. And really me and another staff person, we built it from the ground up, very impactful. Students gravitated toward it and we connected them to other support within the university and provided a lot of programs and support for them directly. And that was just a wonderful time in my career. And I was looking for more career growth. It was a small office. I was working on my PhD and I decided I wanted to move to community colleges. I really liked the access and student success mission. My mother, even though she didn't graduate from high school, she later got a GED later in life and attended community college in Cleveland for one year. And I noticed how she was inspired by that. And that made me think, you know, I think I want to try leadership positions in community colleges. And actually over a six year period, worked in a few community colleges in student success positions, dean of student positions. And then all of that led me eventually to Iowa State University. And who would know that they would be in Iowa, right? How do you plan that out? But I loved it. It was great. I went there as associate VP, had a lot of responsibilities over enrollment management, but also student success, and also really served as the number two person for the vice president. And then that eventually turned into an opportunity to become the vice president when the vice president that hired me retired. So in 2016, I became the vice president for student affairs at Iowa State University had a great team, really made a lot of big strides in student mental health and wellness and student success, many other areas. And then it was time for an opportunity to come back closer to home. And that led me to the University of Michigan. And I had an opportunity to apply for the vice president for student life position, following a legend, uh, Dr. Worcester Harper, who had been here 40 years. And I was appointed, as I mentioned, in the spring of 2020, it started in July 1 of 2020, so I'm coming up on my second year at Michigan. And you had mentioned being a first-gen student that your parents didn't attend college, and so while they were supportive, you didn't really have the support network at home to know how to navigate the university. I, too, am a first-gen student and in leadership positions at, at the university, and oftentimes I feel like I'm navigating a lot of stuff for the first time and that being a leader at a university, there are whole new things that I'm constantly learning. Have you experienced something similar to that? Like I know with college and with school, they have what's termed the hidden curriculum, which is all about the things that you don't know that you don't know until you get there and you start to experience it. But it seems like there's a hidden curriculum throughout higher ed across faculty, staff, and leadership roles. Tiffany, you just really articulated my first year or two at the University of Michigan, understanding the culture, the hidden curriculum. We are a wonderful, very complex, really decentralized institution. And understanding who does what, how things get done, who is who, how do you make alliances and collaborations with different people here. And there are so many people doing great things here. It's sometimes it's just hard to figure out how do you make those connections? Where do you turn? And now you layer all that in with starting during the first few months of a pandemic when the campus was shut down and I started in a living room of a temporary apartment in front of a screen. So trying to figure all that out when you can't talk to people one-on-one, you can't meet with people in person, you don't know where buildings are because you never even go to campus. 
that was incredibly challenging. So it would be challenging under normal circumstances, but just considering coming here without those normal, typical human interactions was just an incredible experience. And I'm still learning. Even after two years, just people will mention something and I'll go, oh, I didn't know that existed. Where's that at? <laughs> Who was that? I had no idea. So I feel like that first generation student attending the University of Toledo, as I'm here as a new executive leader at the University of Michigan. Yeah, that's incredible that you navigated so well. I mean, all the guidance about go to coffee with people, never lunch alone, all that was completely out the door for you. You did a great job navigating it for student life, which is remarkable, given all that you just described about being in the living room in a temporary place, managing and navigating new situations. That's amazing. Well, I've had some good people supporting me and people pointing me in the right direction. A lot of people really felt bad for me. I said, no, it's okay, I'm here, it's fine. But people, people, people went out of their way to try to help me make connections because they, they knew how difficult it was to try to make connections. And then we were in crisis mode. COVID oh, yeah. was a <laughs> crisis period. Every day, every week, we were learning something, we were dealing with a crisis, we were putting out fires. So it's really hard to take time to learn and to think when you're in constant crisis mode. But I'm still here, and things are going a lot better, so it, it's all good. That's good. So based on like what you've seen and the changes over time with the pandemic, where are we at? I think we're still in what I would call the recovery phase. For our division, student life, I sort of uh, just coined it last year, the year of 2021-22, as a year of transition. We were still transitioning, still trying to figure out how do we function within this pandemic? How do we get back to some of the things that we used to do, but at the same time, learning and understanding the new opportunities, new ways of doing things, but also realizing that some things would never go back. Some things will change for good. So we're sort of, 21, 22 was sort of that transition year. What I enjoyed though about last year, there were a few things in particular, but when we welcomed the students in the fall of 21, it was great because we, we were able to give them a normal, somewhat normal welcome. We had Welcome to Michigan, which the previous year was all virtual, even though students, many of them came back to campus, everything was virtual. But in uh, 2021, we were able to welcome them to an in-person experience using all the safety measures that we could possibly use. It was really fun seeing first year students who had a really crummy end of their high school, right? Their last two years mm-hmm. of high school was really challenging. And then our second year students who had a really tough first year of college coming back to a whole different second year. And we were really intentional about including them in our first year welcome programming, something we've never done. We never needed to do that before. But we invited them to participate in the Welcome to Michigan programming. And we had some programs that were just for second year students. We had a sophomore year experience where they came out to the mall area and we had food and music and they were jumping in the fountain. It was it was just <laughs> really cool to see them because they never got to do any of that mm-hmm. in their first year. So I think that was a good start for us. But then there were still challenges that came along with the Omicron virus, the variant rather, and that made it difficult because then we had to sort of revert back 
to more safety measures. We had to do more testing. You know, so we had those ups and downs. I'll tell you the, one of the biggest highlights, though, in addition to my first time going to the big house. That was, that was great. But one of the biggest highlights is that we hosted a, a concert with a group called Glass Animals. Now, because I'm at a certain age, I had no idea who Glass Animals was, but we worked with the Center for Campus Involvement, and they worked with a student group, and they recommended Glass Animals because it was a, a good group that was exciting, fun, and we could fit it into the budget. And this was actually an initiative that came from the regents and the presidents. They said, do something big, do something great, start off a fall. So that fall, I think it was in uh, October or late September, we had this concert. 8,000 students were able to come into Chrysler for free, first and second year students. The free tickets went in 23 hours, sold out. Yes, we didn't even make it to 24 hours. And the students were there, they were standing, they were rocking the place. It was so much fun. It was so great to see students so happy. And that's what I remember most about last year even though we still had struggles and challenges we got through them we had multiple graduation events that was so much fun too so last year was tough at times but it was good it was a rebound and then i'm really excited about this year because i think we've moved to another stage of the real stage of recovery where we start turning the corner uh, quite a bit yeah, so what does what will uh, the next school year look like for reengaging students on campus? How can units like CEW and schools and colleges partner with student life uh, to increase campus-wide student engagement? Right, so you know, I'm really looking forward to approaching this year with sort of knowing that, okay, COVID is with us, right? It's not going away. And if we just take precautions and just live our lives, we can have a great year. We can get close to where we were and learn, use the new things that we've been doing. And offices, departments, schools, colleges, your organization, you can certainly join us by volunteering, even during welcome. There's a, a general call out to campus for volunteers. So people want to volunteer for certain events, whether that's standing behind an ice cream, little ice cream uh, distribution cooler and giving out ice cream to parents and family members or talking with students behind the table, or directing students on campus, or attending events. We actually encourage people from across campus to volunteer to welcome students. But I'll tell you, probably an initiative that is near and dear to me and a lot of people, and it's something that we, we're gonna continue to focus on, is student well-being and mental health. And I think we really turned a corner about a year, year and a half ago, with addressing student health and well-being in a different way. When I came to the University of Michigan in the fall of 2020, there was a lot of concerns about student mental health. And that was before the pandemic, but it was heightened by the pandemic. And but what I noticed is that there was what I would call a singular focus on one avenue of support, and that is CAPS, Counseling and Psychological Services. And there was so much of a focus on CAPS. Anytime a student was experiencing any anxiety, any stress, needed help, the constant response was, go to CAPS. Make an appointment at CAPS. And CAPS was completely overwhelmed at certain times during the year, and they have been. And so I really worked closely with the provost and with several people on campus 
the change to a much more institutional, holistic approach where we are having to be a health-promoting campus. What that means is we're looking at the causes of stress. We're looking at academic policies and not student, not just student life, but academic leadership. They're looking at academic policies to really analyze those policies to determine do we need to continue with this particular policy or is it causing a lot of stress and do we need to look at change? We're looking at multiple avenues of support. And we have a great Wolverine wellness program. Sometimes that's what students really need. Recreation is a way to prevent mental health and stress. We launched during the pandemic a program called Resource Navigators. Sounds really cool, but it's the most basic way of just checking in with students. How are you doing? What can we do to help you get connected if you're not connected? So we had over 2,000 students that received an outreach from a staff member saying, we just want to see how you are, how are you doing, and what can we do to get you connected? We're going to continue that program during this upcoming year with actual staff, paid staff, and students actually going to be doing the check-ins. We also are really promoting some different ways to intake students into the CAPS. So we have we hired five intake specialists, and those intake specialists really make a better assessment of what the students need and if they need a CAPS appointment and maybe they have to wait for a few days or a week, the intake specialist will recommend some other support activities that they can participate in while they're waiting. And sometimes they don't really need the CAPS appointment. Maybe if they get wellness coaching from Wolverine Wellness, that's all they need. And so this is a big, huge initiative. We've actually signed on to an international group it's called the Okanagan Charter. If you can say that three times, you get like a cookie. It's an international group that was started in, in Canada. And I think there are maybe 30 higher ed institutions that have signed on to commit to being a health promoting institution. And that's looking at climate change and how that's impacting students. That's looking at issues of racism and discrimination and how that's impacting students. It, it really takes a holistic look at the environment and how does the environment impact students and what can we do to improve the environment. So I say all that, I'm sorry I get too excited, ramble on a bit, but really we've been talking to a lot of the schools and colleges, partners just like you to learn about this work, get connected to it and understand how we can serve students better. The last thing I'll mention is we actually are piloting a new app this fall for all new students and all new transfer students. And the app, this goes back to your comment about navigating and understanding the big campus. The app is designed to help students better find support, but it takes their information that they input and it's got that artificial intelligence, not where it's bugging them, but it's directing them. If they're in the union and a student has already indicated that they're really interested in diversity, initiatives and they walk into the union, it lets them know what departments are in that building that focus on DEI. So that will be launched as a pilot for over 7,000 students and we'll evaluate it and see where we go with it in the future. Oh, that sounds like an amazing app that it recognizes your location and then points you to the right places. The, the only challenge would be, Tiffany, is when we talk to students about it, 
they wanted the app to do everything. They wanted the super app, you know, the app of all apps. And it's like, uh, okay, we can't start there, but let's start here and then we'll see where we can go with from there. So I'm, I'm really excited and interested in seeing how students utilize it and to make sure that it's giving students what they need, which is an easier way to find support on campus. Yeah, that's great. I'd imagine that this type of app could really help underserved communities on campus to navigate their way to the right spaces, the most appropriate spaces. What is your general philosophy for working with underserved communities? I think we have to really look at a different philosophy for how we reach underserved communities on campus. I think traditionally, we have structures, we have programs, whether it's a workshop or, or an event or an office, and we say, we're here for you, come to us, right? And that's mm -hmm. okay, we're always gonna do that. But what I'm really pushing departments of student life to do is to be a little bit more proactive and effective with outreach and communications. We have to meet students where they are. We have to do a better job of that. Whether it's the app, whether it's social media, whether it's just better, more targeted, focused communications, and making sure that students know that to connect with the support that they need, they don't have to do all the work to find us. And that's so important on a campus that has so many different support mechanisms. And I don't mean really just student life support. I mean support through the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, support through CW+, support through the schools and colleges. I really think that student life has the responsibility to have better outreach mechanisms and better communications to be able to reach students in a more proactive way. Using video, for example, mm -hmm. we do send a lot of emails. We know students don't always read them, but I did a lot of video messaging during the pandemic. And it was surprised when I finally could get out of my apartment and see students that they would say, oh yeah, I saw you on the video. So we have to think of different ways to reach students and different ways to get their attention to say, we're here for you and you don't have to look for us. You don't have to find us. You don't have to comb through a website to figure out who to go to. So that's really important. And just one thing I'll mention to do that, I've actually elevated our leadership role in communications in student life. I've hired a senior director for strategic communications and marketing because we've been somewhat disjointed in our approach to communications. And I really needed a leader who would report to me so I could support that person who would be part of our senior leadership team, but more importantly, would help us align better and develop new strategies and innovations in communication. So really excited. Uh, Nick Kaliba has joined our leadership team about a month ago. And so it's not just an empty initiative, but we've actually put a person and charged them with helping us be better with communications and outreach. In an ideal scenario, what would your dream outcome be for the upcoming year or two? I really want students to not only be safe, but to feel safe. Because I think the pandemic caused so much fear and so much anxiety, and we need to keep the pandemic in mind. But I really want students to feel like they can go about their college experience, and not just students, but really the entire campus community, learning how to function in this recovery stage and while the pandemic becomes an endemic and, and hopefully it'll be considered similar to the flu 
or a bad cold. If you're vaccinated, you have your boosters, you may get it, you'll recover, you wear your mask if you feel comfortable, if you don't, you'll be okay. And so I really, really hope that as a campus community that we can just feel good about being present. I think that's so important. I also want students to get involved in collaborative ways with other students, faculty, staff, so that we can make constructive changes. I expect the University of Michigan is really known for activism. Our students come to the university wanting to make the campus and the community and the world a better place. I love that. That's great. What I really hope for as we move to a somewhat more normal state, that we'll find ways to collaborate and to work together in a constructive way on these big issues, the issues of climate change and anti-racism and health and wellness. When we want to be partners, we don't want to have an adversarial approach to working together. I think that's going to be really, really important as we move forward. And even tough issues like preventing sexual misconduct. We have a whole new structure. ECRT is, is expanded. It has new offices. This is not a part of student life, but we are so closely connected to SAPAC, Sexual Assault and Prevention Program. But how do we work together with students to really get us to the places where we change in a way that we know that we're a safe campus, we're a campus that's flourishing, that we're moving forward into the future. So I just want to have that kind of working together relationship and not sort of bumping heads in an adversarial way. We can make change if we work together. And yes, students will push us. They're supposed to. We make them change at a big universities like moving a cruise ship, but we want them to help us to make the change by pushing us, but also partnering with us. It's really important to do both. And we know students are here to learn and get their degree. So we don't want to tax, but we want them to see us as partners. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the things that sustained me through the pandemic was working with student parents very closely to figure out what their needs were, how we can all be advocating for the same types of change to create movement. And you could see from both sides of staff working with them, faculty, the students really appreciated the collaborative approach. And it was also meaningful and kept all of us sustained during a really hard time in, in U of M's history. So I completely get what you're talking about. You described a bit about your experience when you started here. What has sustained you and what self-care practices have you employed? Wow, I'm still working on that. But I do want to say this real quick. I want to just give you kudos. I really learned about your program this year. and. I've worked on other campuses. This is my fifth campus, and I, I really haven't seen a strong program, a program as strong as CW Plus. And the work that you do is necessary. It's wonderful. It provides support that students with parents need. And I was really happy to meet some of your students and connect with them and, and hopefully let them know that I care and that the whole division of student life cares and that we want to work with you in that collaborative way that I talked about. So I wanted to mention that because figuring out my own self-care is probably one of my biggest challenges that I'm still working on personal level. And then I'll talk a little bit about students. But on a personal level, trying to do things that I was doing before the pandemic but sort of got away from a little bit, and that's just simple walks. Actually, today, after work, I'm the road. I'm looking forward to 
just going on a walk around my community. It gives me time to think, unwind, just listen to some music. And it's really a good stress reliever. I have a Peloton bike. I kind of got off of that a little bit during the pandemic, but I'm back on it again. I'm probably about three to four days a week, even if it's only 20 minutes or something. Oh, that's um, so impressive. That's really good for me. Well, I probably need to get to 30 minutes or 45. So I still want to push myself to that next level. But as long as I keep riding that, that really feels good. But really, I think what I'm really excited about getting back to is vacations. I love to travel. I love vacations. In about two weeks, I'm heading off to Puerto Rico for uh, six or seven days and super excited about that. And got another small vacation in Myrtle Beach and August and to be able to travel again or even go to conferences, even though that's kind of work like, but it's just good to go to a different city and meet with colleagues and talk about strategies. And so those are the things that really helped me. I wanted my goal was to buy a bike this summer, but I'm losing time on that. So that might have to be a late summer or fall goal. I haven't ridden a bike in many years. So I think there's a little fear in there, but I want to actually start riding a bike because I think that would be a lot of excitement for me just to, to be out and not just in the stationary bike. So yeah, so that's me. It's, it's a work in progress though. And I really believe though that my staff, they take cues from me. And if they know that I'm trying to practice self-care and take care of myself, then I hope that inspires them. If they see that I'm not, then it gives them a negative message. So that's really important. But student life resources are available to, to students, whether it's different virtual services or apps like Silver Cloud, which is an online approach with modules that focuses on uh, addressing anxiety, depression, body image, stress, sleep, together all. It's actually something that we launched during the pandemic. It's really, really been impactful, particularly for students of color, underrepresented students. It is essentially a group of trained students who are providing peer counseling. And it, it's really been effective for some students that really like that. It's online, so it's virtual. You don't have to walk into an office and deal with any stigmas. And it, it allows us to reach students in a different way through a peer, um, you know, approach. And then, of course, we're really well for really support networks which again is a student-led peer support program. So there are a lot of ways for students. I'm excited we're gonna eventually have a new Central Campus Recreation Building. It's gonna take a couple of years, but uh -huh. trust me, upgrade is really needed because if you've been in CCRB, it's time. It's oh, it's really been needed for, for 20 years. Exactly, so a couple, about two and a half years from now, I can't wait to see students and me walking in that building. So there's a lot going on. And I think, again, it's helping students find those resources and find those ways to practice self-care. And that's really important. If you could tell all students one thing, what would it be? I think one of the most important skills that you learn, with, in college you learn how to learn, right? But I think one of the most important skills is to be able to ask for help Find help. So I would say this, you know, I really believe that students come to college to learn, obviously. And one of the skills that you learn is how to ask for help, how not to be shy about saying, I need help. And so I'm going to steal a phrase from someone. I didn't coin this phrase, but I'm just going to steal it. 
every living being is born able to use its most important survival skills. What are humans born with? The ability to cry for help. Even when you're a baby, right? When you're hungry, when you have to do something, (laughs) you Uh cry for help, right? And I think that's a skill that we have as human beings to ask for help. And as students, whether it's help from a faculty member, help from a staff member, help from a friend, whether you're struggling with something or whether you just need to find something or whether you need to make a connection, if you're in your residence hall, don't be shy, don't be afraid to ask for help. And at a place like the University of Michigan, the help is here. It's really just a matter of asking and connecting. That's what you need to do. Well, that's a great point to end on. I'm so appreciative to have gotten to speak with you today. And um, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Well, this has been the highlight of my day. It's been so much fun. And this evening, when I'm out on that walk, I'll I'll think about uh, how much fun we had talking. So I really appreciate the opportunity. And I look forward to seeing you again on campus. Thank you for listening to CEW's podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. To learn more about this episode or the services and virtual programming offered by CEW+, please visit cew.umich.edu. Here at CEW+, we navigate circumstantial barriers by providing academic, financial, and professional support to help you reach your personal potential. Established to support women through higher education, we lift up women and all underserved communities at the University of Michigan and beyond. Through career and education counseling, funding, workshops, events, and a diverse, welcoming community, we exist to empower. We are CEW+, and we are here to help you reach your potential. The University of Michigan resides on the traditional territories of the three fires peoples, the Ojibwa, Adawa, and Potawatomi. 